It is another check-in with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for our weekly Tacky Talk updates. How are you today, Tacky? Hey, Joe. Good to see you on a steamy afternoon in July. I know here we are, midsummer, and certainly feels like it for sure. So I see you've retreated to the state house to stay cool. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, uh, while I do my enjoy my central uh, cooling at home, uh, it is nice to be in the office. Uh, as talked in the past before, uh, one of the drawbacks of working at home is actually using your personal resources, uh, basically for the benefit of your employer, including like air conditioning. If you uh, are a family where nobody's home during the day uh, because you're at work, uh, it actually saves on your utility bill. Uh, just turn down the thermostat, right? But turn up exactly. the thermostat in the case of wind, of uh, eating and cooling, turn it to a higher temperature. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. I've been in the state a lot. It's been uh, this week, I'm actually in all five days. Uh, generally, I keep, I know it sounds terrible, but I was, uh, you know, have a district day on Friday, which is actually true. I actually do uh, meetings at home on Friday, as well as try to get um, work done in terms of reading materials from the staff. Uh, and uh, writing some memos up for them and, and doing a lot of review. I mean, that's generally my Friday part, but this week we actually have meetings scheduled every day through, through the whole week. So it's a little unusual. And also we're on call for session on Friday. And people who work from home uh, submit reimbursement costs, Techie? Interest, this is an interesting one. I mean, it depends on your employer, right? You know, some people may provide it per diem, some people may not. The Trump administration, I talked about this like a year ago, uh, I think it expires in 2025 or six, you know, actually took away people who have W-2s, the ability to file certain types of uh, deductions. Hmm. So if you're a Schedule A, you know, federal deduction Schedule A, you get things like, you know, mortgage deduction in your home and a number of other types of deductions to bring down your tax burden and shouldn't be higher than your standing deduction. But, you know, if you're self-employed, you know, you can file, uh, I think it's a Schedule C, um, and you just put your expenses down as self-employed or LLC or LLP. But if you're working for W-2 in, a, you know, any kind of normal-ish business corporation or, or, or government, uh, you know, the, uh, the Trump administration and Republican Congress took away some of your deductions, uh, probably some of the better ones that, that you could do. And if you got those deductions in the federal tax form, it would translate to the state tax form. So, you know, I, had fi- I filed a bill this year uh, to try to mimic the federal uh, deduction for W-2 workers uh, to be also, uh, to actually to allow them to deduct in state government despite the inability to do so at the federal level. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Uh, so I think a lot of folks are still, you know, working from home and we I just saw a the proposal, of course, in Boston from Mayor Wu to try and put some of the empty office space to use for affordable housing. So it's it's, it's going to be an issue. Affordable housing on office space is going to be very costly because it changed the code from you know, a multi-story commercial to multi-story residential. And uh, you may not realize this, but to have a living space in, I believe, every city in town, you need a kitchen and a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you start gutting office spaces because you have a shared bathroom and you don't, most places don't have a kitchen uh, in office spaces. Uh, you know, maybe a little like, you know, office uh, space or like a microwave, but not a full blown kitchen, uh, you know, to have uh, commercial real estate folks do this massive conversion is, is not going to be cheap and they're going to have to take out new loans and uh, loans are floating in between 6.25 as high as 7%. And the feds are likely going to jack it up again in July, mm. no quarter percentage. So uh, I I get it. I mean, you want to create affordable housing, there's underused commercial space. You have to do something with it. Um, depending on the circumstances, every circumstance is different with a commercial landlord, whether or not they already have existing loans, you know, pre 
inflationary period pre-COVID, or, or they're going to have to take out or find new capital, take a new loan out or, or new investors to do massive rehab uh, on the on commercial space. Good idea. Uh, not saying that, you know, but there is a, a legit financial component you know, for these folks to try to figure out what the math makes sense. And is, if it's affordable, it has to be below market rate. And all of us know a Boston and greater Boston, very high market rate. Right. Yeah. And, it would, uh, and you know, see, to use it to address the homeless situation, the same costs would have to be incurred because it still has to be a habitable space, right? That's correct. Uh, you know, his her own uh, building department or inspectional service department, you know, would have to sign off any kind of conversions regarding uh, this this type of space, to be honest with you. Uh, so, you know, that means a new architect, new engineer, um, you know, new, different kind of codes regarding individual units. Um, and then, you know, you have to kind of figure out what the market rate is. And then if you know, Mayor Wu wants to put up some city money or find appropriate state grants, you know, for these private developers to create affordable housing, you know, this can be the subsidy. So we already know the federal government pretty much froze Section 8s for a very long time, Section 8 vouchers. Uh, and, you know, MSRVP, which is the state version of Section 8, you know, we've been putting money into that for the last eight years to try to help alleviate some of the housing price issues with residents, but still it's not free. People think it's free, it's not. It's it's greatly reduced, but you still have to pay uh, about 30% of the market rate in the geographic zone pursuant to the federal government to meet certain income guidelines. And you cross those guidelines, you know, you could lose um, those vouchers on uh, trying to help with housing costs. And even then landlords are required to go through a review process to be able to take a section eight. If the federal government, state government review, basically the housing authorities review, of your property does not meet livable standards, uh, you can't be qualified to receive this voucher as a landlord in payment. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure it's an issue facing a lot of major metropolitan uh, cities across the country, um, with, you know, just given the whole changing workplace. Yes, I mean, San Francisco is having a huge crisis. Mm-hmm. New York City, Manhattan is having a huge crisis. Uh, if you look at Boston Properties, which is a company uh, which owns a lot of commercial real estate nationally, you know, they're, they're having a balance sheet challenge, uh, you know, and then, you know, that WeWorks, for example, one of the most famous ones where they got themselves into a, a situation where landlords can't get rid of them. They're, uh, WeWorks is a shared office space business. People will uh, rent small amount of space that they rent from a larger landlord, basically subleasing. And, uh, you know, landlords are kind of trapped in this situation where if they get rid of a tenant, they'll get no revenue. And that company's having trouble generating revenue because people are working from home. They don't need a sub-lease small space. Right. I'd be curious to see if, um, you know, some of the big tech companies that moved out to the suburbs, you know, years ago, the big industrial parks, look for smaller spaces back in the city. That might be an option, too. I agree. I mean, if you're a biotech company, for example, lab space is something you can't really substitute at home. But, you know, you also because of the cloud system and secure servers, you know, you're able to, um, you know, work from from home on certain things. And you probably did at one time. Well, I mean, some things you can't replace, you know, human interaction. Um, and some folks want to, for example, see their banker, right? You yeah. know, they're more comfortable with this face-to-face and they actually look at the paper in front of each other uh, much more easily. So we're going to continue in this kind of like new world we're living in for some more time as people continue to find and adjust what's best. But I will tell you the Boston traffic has significantly increased this week, uh, not just because of the summer tunnel, which has just compounded it even more. Uh, you know, it is taking more time uh, in the morning and the 
afternoon. It's very hard to determine what rush hour it is. Before COVID, it was hard enough. Now, I, I think every hour is rush hour. It's so bizarre the way the traffic patterns have changed. And uh, you, you just, I just, you have to wonder where are all these people going? Yeah, uh, agreed. I mean, I, I'm aware that some places have moved to like four or three day, you know, at home work. And it's not like always the same day. And we hit the summer and, uh, for, you know, well before COVID too. I mean, there, you know, people are taking Fridays off uh, and uh, Thursday becomes, you know, Friday kind of traffic, you know, people trying to get to where we're trying to get to. Particularly when you get to the late day hours, as uh, people are trying to get to destinations. And I just want to remind folks, you know, the summer tunnel is closed, uh, but even though we live south of Boston, has massive traffic implications for us because the Ted Williams tunnel has become the alternate route. So, you know, trying to get to the airport, uh, you know, please allocate a very significant amount of time, more so than you normally would. Uh, you have this Logan Express and Braintree. Uh, there's obviously uh, using the blue line for free, you have the silver line and South Station, you know, maybe uh, if you want to avoid the the horrors of the T, let's call it what it is, you know, you may want to try to take, you know, Lyft or Uber to perhaps to a South Station or GFK Station and, you know, go in from there. Um, you know, if you're in Boston, you work in Boston, if you're lucky to have a parking space in Boston, perhaps the Blue Line is an option. Or perhaps, um, you know, being close to South Station, you can just walk down to South Station, take the silver road. And uh, we do have uh, some ferry service to, um, uh, the Long Wharf, which mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure what happens after you get to Long Wharf, to be honest with you. Uh, but, but, you know, we'd strongly encourage you to try for an alternative to travel. And, you know, airlines are booked 100% at this point. Um, so I think summer travel is going to be very, very active coming in and out of Rome. Oh, yeah. No question. That's for sure. Um, so is the fact that you're in the state house? Jackie, mean that uh, we have a state budget uh, imminently ready to go? <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not have any insight on the state budget. I put some speculation for you all without actually substantiating it, but that's based on my experience in this building as opposed to somebody handing me a piece of paper what the plan is. Um, we are going to work on a supplemental budget tomorrow. Um, it's actually a very routine supplemental budget. It's continuation of transferring funds between accounts for fiscal year 23, the prior fiscal cycle, and also to pay off fiscal 23 bills using fiscal 23 money. No kidding, right? That's how this works, right? So, uh, you know, as I said before, we do have a bit of a surplus. So we can kind of hang on a bit using last year's budget into the month of August. Um, well, hopefully just July, but maybe maybe into August. Um, and uh, we're going to get our bill paying done in interim fiscal 23 using fiscal 23 funds. So uh, tomorrow we're in formal session. I'm going to tell you it's not going to be a very exciting uh, debate because it's just it's paying bills. I mean, I, I, I'm stimulating, right? <laughs> That's yes, my one of my least favorite chores at home. So I'm sure, I'm sure it's yours there too. Oh yeah, I looked at the sub budget this morning with deficiency. When I was young, we referred to deficiency budgets. So I was looking at it this morning, and I'm like, oh, this is this this ain't exciting. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of exciting, um, the lottery's booming. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm. I mean, we know the odds are terrible. I was joking around. You have a better chance. You have a better chance getting attacked by a shark in a desert than to win the lottery. I mean, that was kind of my tongue-in-cheek joke on that matter. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm always shocked at the volume of tickets purchased and just no winners. And the multi-state obviously is uh, jacks up the jackpot much larger than just in-state. Um, but you don't play, you don't win either, which is kind of the irony of the you, you, your odds of winning are terrible. You don't participate, you can't win. 
So, uh, you know, obviously this is good for the state lottery. Um, you know, the, as I said over and over again, we do have one of the most successful lotteries in the country and highest per capita per person. Uh, and uh, this will just, uh, you know, continue to uh, continue to get money to cities and towns uh, for local aid. So, uh, again, I don't encourage people to gamble, um, but it's it's amazing how, you know, how much there is. Can we talk a little bit, Taki, about um, the Metropolitan Beaches Commission uh, hearing earlier this week regarding sea level rise? I know you were part of that. I was not. I was actually in a meeting. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I had staff monitor the meeting for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, there were no commission votes. It was more of a presentation and reminding people of the uh, impact of climate change and the sea rise. Living in Quincy, you know, we already know this, right? I mean, you know, everybody that lives along the water has seen uh, rising tides, uh, particularly on bad storms and on high moons, you know, impacts uh, even more so than ever and all the way up to West Quincy regarding flooding because unable to move water fast enough through Town Brook and Furnish Brook on the way to the ocean, as well as our storm drains and, you know, higher density city. Um, and, uh, you know, the city, you know, does a good job on, you know, keeping the tide gates clear and open and closing them, you know, according to the tides. Uh, but, you know, even in general rising tides, any boater will tell you that, you know, it's, it's, it is slowly rising. And mm-hmm. you know, what people thought they built, particularly a long wharf, which is what we talked about earlier, but, you know, it's kind of a recurring conversation and it's designed when I was a child, uh, you know, not realizing how tides would rise now. Uh, and there's some other, other, you know, trivia fact, right? I mean, most of the back bay is sitting on petrified wood, and uh, the water table keeps that wood petrified. When water leaves wood, it starts to rot. And the, the Charles River locks were designed to keep back bay flooded. You know, changing water table and the changing uh, tides of moving in and out water has changed the water table more. There'll be more wood exposed over long periods where back bay could sink. So, yeah, I mean, this is a real, real danger in the sense that, you know, people can be really, really hurt, not just an environmental level on the water, but, you know, and also filled in areas of uh, wetlands. What, what's once wetlands? So old shallow bays and marshes uh, long before current environmental laws. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's going to be stuff coming that private landholders as well as government's going to have to try to figure it out as we go along. So beyond, you know, obviously working to bring windmills and solar power and try to reduce our need on carbon based uh, generation of fields, uh, you know, this is real, real cost uh, on an infrastructure issue regarding um, sea levels. And, you know, obviously the Beach Commission is very concerned about erosion. We've seen erosion of many North and South Shore communities on, on private property owners to impact on our ability to use recreational properties on beaches because again, you know, erosion um, and also, you know, rising tides have a huge impact as we all know, including on seawalls. Yeah, absolutely. I saw some of the uh, the uh, renderings of the scenarios, you know, that could take place uh, given sea level rise over the next, like it was like one year, then three years, then seven years. You know, it's seven years from now or something, there could be another six feet of sea level rise right along the southern tip of Wollaston Beach. Yeah, no, it, it's it's quite real. But again, there are also scenarios based on different circumstances. It's it's hard to tell where the world will go, right? Well, in Massachusetts, you know, every resident as well as the state and city governments and town governments can do their part. You know, it is a global issue. And uh, it's also encouraging other industrialized nations who want to participate on trying to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, and it's also for health reasons. I mean, I am aware that uh, carbon emissions causes uh, asthma. That this is not a mystery. 
places like China, you know, are trying to reduce carbon emissions, not necessarily just because of climate change, but also healthcare reasons, the famous smog, right? And we've already experienced this ourselves with the forest fires in uh, Halifax, which resulted in everyone from Chicago to Boston receiving some level of very poor air quality and everybody you know, potentially impacted, uh, you know, on a respiratory level. And, you know, and you also saw during COVID when the world essentially shut down, how quickly uh, air pollution just kind of vanished. Right. Yeah. Seeing as we're on the topic, let's talk about the most recent event, the terrible flooding out Western Mass, Southwestern New Hampshire and, and Vermont. Yeah. I mean, on the coastline, we've seen more than one 50 or 100 year storm, seemingly much less than 50 or 100 years. Uh, you know, last time I remember it, there was a huge road washout uh, was probably right before COVID in like 2018, 19. I'm trying to remember exactly what, but they it like wiped out Route 2. I think my good friend Gail, Gail, Gail was still alive representing that region, North Adams. They, they, there's this road out there. Um, maybe it was 18. Okay. Maybe it was 17 or 18. And there was a huge road washout. And it's scary because, you know, it's inland. And you saw Mount Pillar video where the capital of Vermont it has like five feet of water, but like through the whole city. It isn't just like a little piece of it, the whole city. And these dams that were designed to help uh, basically economic development because, you know, water retention, you get drinking water, you can use hydropower depending on the dam, but also uh, allow economic development downstream when building communities. I mean, they were, they were in danger of overflow. Um, and, you know, these towns were created a long, long time ago. Right. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very scary that you have these probably essentially 75, 100 year storms just pounding uh, upstate uh, Massachusetts, you know, through Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, you know, and upstate New York. Yeah, it's pretty devastating to see. Uh, and I know that the governor is out there today, actually, uh, taking an aerial tour of uh, parts of Massachusetts that have been impacted. Yeah, and I, I think uh, some MEMA folks went up to Vermont, too, to help yes. coordinate emergency response. They've never seen anything like this. I mean, you know, you give them a blizzard, Vermont, people know what to do. Right. You, you dump, you know, 40%, you know, enough rain that represents 40% of rainfall for an entire year in one day in Vermont. That's a different kind of disaster. You know, Massachusetts, sadly, you know, have can and does see every type of disaster short of an earthquake. Right. And you are, we are in an earthquake zone, but I mean, you don't get like California earthquakes. Right. Uh, people forget, you know, Waltham is built on an old volcano, you know, prehistoric right. volcano, right? That technically isn't totally inactive. Um, uh, but I mean, we get, you know, blizzards, we do get floods, Sally. We have coastal floods, inland floods, river floods. We have a lot of little dams around the state, you know, holding back water or cities and towns. Some are being torn down and rearranging the flow of water. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, experience on this stuff. So, you know, obviously the state's very healthy and, and, and does want to help our neighbors around us, uh, you know, to help uh, organize and, and plan how to do emergency management. And you don't know. I mean, if uh, a dam may have more structural issues, God forbid, Montpelier could be in more danger. You just don't know. So, you know, we send some experts up with their experts and they'll consult and see know what's the best move next up in the world. Yeah, certainly uh, keep them in our thoughts for sure. Um, we talked a little bit about, um, I read uh, just this morning, a piece of legislation um, regarding 
uh, firearms, uh, ghost guns in particular, and uh, plans to kind of rewrite the state's uh, firearms regulations. Yeah, I heard that from you this morning too. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I heard it from, Tacky. <laughs> I got the news from you this morning on the guns. Uh, we've seen variations this before. Before Maura uh, Healy became governor, she was attorney general. And one of the first things she did as attorney general was to uh, redefine assault weapons for the purposes of assault weapons ban. We saw this with a uh, governor, uh, uh, well, wannabe governor, but then attorney general uh, Tom Riley, who uh, went after Smith and Weston regarding a liability on gun sales. Uh, and change some regulations on that, which is, you know, inside their purview. Uh, it, it appears that, you know, Attorney General Campbell is looking to uh, deal with ghost guns, which are untraceable guns, the guns that are, are made at home, which is not illegal, but is illegal for you to not register the gun. Once it's an actual gun, right? Yeah. That's correct. And that's that's the issue that hand that um, law enforcement is dealing with. Uh, this place called ghost guns, they're invisible. You don't know where they are uh, on serial numbers. So uh, she's trying to, it sounds like based on what you tell me, because you're the one that reported it to me, uh, that she's trying to establish some regulations about whether or not you can have a uh, assembly with gun at home and, uh, you know, greater uh, greater requirements uh, to ensure licensure. And she's probably going to look for some penalties uh, from the legislature for non-compliance of, of uh, licensing a homemade, uh, self-made weapon. Right, or or that, and also maybe um, you know these manufacturers that that uh, make kits that you can make a gun from, maybe you need a license even to you know buy a kit. But we don't know where the kits go. Right. I mean, let's be frank about this. It isn't like you know someone orders a kit. You're not a licensed gun holder. You can. That's yeah. like having a, just like having Legos and, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not aware that you have to be a licensed gun holder to get a kit. I'm not aware of it. I yeah, no, be. I don't think you do. I think, I think that's right. Or, I mean, they can make them now with these 3D printers even. Well, that one definitely don't need a license because there's no way anybody knows you got a 3D, 3D printer to create a plastic uh, weapon that can right. get past security, perhaps. Uh, you know, security, uh, new machines are much more better at, uh, you know, identifying silhouettes inside your baggage. Right. Um, but the idea of plastic uh, firearms or plastic molded uh, metal, uh, whatever. I mean, 3D printing is a little more than just plastic. It, you can mold too. You can mold things uh, on hard materials um, to create parts at home. And again, a different type of ghost guns. That, that letter, it's kind of died down a bit. I don't know if anyone's noticed. That was a hot item um, in... Uh, right at the end of the Trump administration, right into the early Biden administration. Um, and, you know, that, 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 uh, that issue has quieted down a lot, I've noticed. Um, I'm not saying the issue isn't out there, but I'm not reading or hearing about it like as much as before. Yeah, no, nor, nor have I. And I don't, I don't know why specifically, um, but, um, you know, we'll see where this goes. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying there's people nefariously buying weapons for illegal purposes in terms of building a kit for illegal purposes, but, you know, not registering the firearm is is very problematic. Yeah. Um, something else I was reading, too, not too long ago about uh, requiring folks in the beauty field, um, hairstylists, barbers, cosmeticians, to be aware of domestic abuse among their clients. Yeah, I have that bill. It's in committee. Okay. 
So one thing about licensing professions is that you want to make sure the continuation of, prof- of licensing the profession actually is relevant to your job. Hmm. And the proposal uh, from Mary and Ryan in Middlesex County and a couple of reps, uh, I think Christine Barber, uh, Rep Barber, and I think Senator Cindy Green proposes a mandate that folks that uh, cosmetology folks are required to have sexual assault identification training or domestic assault training um, as well, uh, but won't be held liable and don't report. There won't be mandatory reports. Um, I get it, it makes sense, but should it be a condition of your license to do something and not require to be a mandatory reporter like nurses and teachers? And it's not relevant to your profession. It's not like it improves your skills on haircutting. Yeah. So my proposal, and we're going to release on a committee, is that we made a part of beauty school. So make it a curriculum. Okay. Uh, so uh, so give them the skills to do it. Yeah, but do it in a different venue. And then obviously people want to voluntarily participate in the AG's program. You know, they can do so. And the light just went off because I was not moving in the room. As you all see the light change, give me. Oh, is it on a uh, sensor? <laughs> yes, we uh, we have uh, energy uh, sense. We have uh, sensors here to try to reduce energy consumption. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> building. So uh, what happens also when I have meetings here with staff, the outside lights go dark and people think we're not in here, but I'm actually having a staff meeting in my office. Ah, okay. Kind of peculiar. So, um, so yeah. So I, as you saw, I had to to bring these sensors back on. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of my proposal. Make it part of beauty school. You know, we're not going to deny anybody who wants to voluntarily participate in this type of program. It is available online at the Middle Sixty A's office. Uh, but you know, as again, as a guy who does licensing stuff, you know, we want to make sure that people are licensed in their profession with the highest education level. You know, and continue education is to continue to improve your profession and stay inside a scope. Yeah, so, yeah. So I get, I get what they want. I get what the district attorney wants to do, but it doesn't. It's not inside the scope of the profession. Right, right, right. So, uh, how would that be funded, Jackie? Would that be part of the the curriculum that they already pay for? Oh, Miss Day's office already paid for this. Oh, right? okay, okay. So, I mean, we've been working to beauty schools about whether or not to do that. As part of that, yep. beauty schools have pointed out that other states have um, have uh, requirements for cosmetology locations to include human trafficking information uh, displayed in a position where um, people can uh, see them uh, in multiple languages. Um, I was in Las Vegas last year for a trip. I was in the bathroom at um, uh, McCarran Airport. And yet I had signs up in mobile languages that you have victim of human trafficking, here's some phone numbers, but they put them in hmm. interesting places where it's not inside a potentially person looking for it. And no joke, it was in the stall. Really? So yeah, you're on the toilet and then there's this sign in front of you. Um, you know, things like, you know, information of how you can get help if you're being human trafficked. Well, I mean, it got your undevoted attention, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and the idea is, is hopefully there's a degree of privacy, perhaps your, your, uh, your, um, or uh, how do I describe this? You're a bad person. I just try to pick words that are acceptable for video. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there with you. Ah, I see. Okay. Yep. You know, yep. And that's that's the that's why you know they should be put in places where they're conspicuous enough, but not so conspicuous that if your um, your uh, perpetrator is with you, that uh, that you know, catch on what's going on. 
obviously, yeah, you, you don't want to call attention uh, to the fact that you're you're asking for help. Yeah, precisely. So, you know, we, you know, as part of my redraft bill, we're going to, like I said, we, you know, put the training requirement as part of um, beauty school, cosmetology school, and then we'll, we'll also put, uh, requires cosmetology places to include the human trafficking on yeah. in a few different languages. Yeah, I, I can see where they, some may be a little hesitant, uh, you know, feeling they'd be intrusive, I guess, in, in their in their customer's private life, um, but could be saving their life too. And that's a problem. You're not making mandatory reporters. It's not inside, not inside the scope of the profession. And they don't want to be mandatory reporters because, right. you know, people will figure out what's really going on. And why cosmetology? Because particularly, you know, in the hair areas, I mean, a lot of abusers, you know, we'll grab people by the back of the neck. They have longer hair. They know they can keep it hidden. You know, hair damage and, and scalp damage is sadly not uncommon of abusers. Um, you know, uh, other parts of the body uh, in the upper shoulder areas. You know, if you're a hair cutter, you can spot this type of you know, physical uh, damage caused by right. an abuser. So that's kind of the logic behind it. And it's, yep. I get it. And you get it. Um, yep. I mean, physicians obviously already are mandatory reporters. Yeah, correct. And they can see more um, everywhere else. I mean, I just had a dermatology appointment. I was overdue. Obviously, dermatology appointment, you know, was one on the survey, you know, you're in danger. Um, and dermatology, I mean, no kidding, right? They, they can see everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have some eczema and, you know, uh, but I haven't done like a, a body check for a potential you know, discoloration of your skin yep. that something else. And uh, we did find <laughs> too much information time. But they found some stuff. We took a quick biopsy, nothing wrong. Thank goodness. But, uh, but again, I mean, you know, those kind of things that, you know, you can spot, you know, they can't avoid it if you're doing dermatology exam, right? Right. No, it's very important actually to get screened uh, because the earlier that they detect any problems, the the better they can treat it. Yeah, I agree with you too. I mean, we, we need to remind, a good remind folks that, you know, once you hit certain ages and sometimes if you have a high risk family, you know, make sure you're clear to your doctor to have past family members, whether present or, or in the past, you know, certain conditions, you know, you should be screened too as well. And um, obviously uh, skin cancer is something that can progress as you age because of just exposure to UV radiation you know, being in the sun. So, uh, you know, obviously we encourage that um, quite a bit in terms of, you uh, screening. So yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on the matter. I've worked in this bill uh, three sessions now, four sessions, but it's, it seems like everything blurs these days. And mm. that was always our recommendation. And we'll continue to make that recommendation from the members of the committee, committee which means me and the members. Okay. Uh, the summer school lunch program, of course, well underway, but where are uh, free school meals in the legislature? Just tacky. Uh, we're still in the budget. Okay. Uh, you know, we uh, it's one of the funding things that we will continue post COVID. Uh, again, the federal government stopped funding for a lot of programs uh, back in March. Uh, we did a supplemental budget uh, to fill those gaps at least to the end of fiscal year, uh, and then try to see how much of that stuff we can afford baked into the base budget. Um, obviously, we can't do everything we did during COVID, but certain programs that we believe. And I hope everyone else also agrees, believes, you know, we're a huge benefit to families. Many families, unfortunately, uh, find that the best meal the child's going to get is at school. And the summer meal programs are very important. I visited one so many years ago in Germantown. Actually, I think I did, did it during COVID. And, and how important it is for families to come get yep. their, their meal plan 
uh, you know, during the day and they have uh, Germantown Neighborhood Center and they have tables up front and people can, you know, with the kids, you know, participate in the meal plan and just have the meal right there. So well, uh, food insecurity is real. Uh, it, it's worse by inflation. None of our dollars and none of our government programs honestly stretch as far as it had in the past. Uh, and that's just, that's reality of life. Uh, SNAP programs uh, per dollar is not going as far as it did before, same as just like all of us, our dollars aren't going as far as it did in the grocery store. And I know inflation's out. We did CPI today. It came a decimal point lower than expectation at three core. Uh, CPI also descended, but far, far from the 2% um, range that the Fed's looking for. Yeah, which is why there's another interest rate hike is probably imminent later this year, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, July 26th, I think, is when the Fed... Sounds right. Yeah. So it'll be interesting what uh, tone. It's it's fascinating watching the Fed Reserve uh, because uh, every word they say can impact uh, it, all industries. And the choice of words is sometimes a little vague, subject to interpretation on purpose, uh, because they're trying to not, you know, signal to not just the stock market, but also people in, you know, in commercial, people doing business, you know, what the expectations are um, and what the financial impact is. So, and it's like a very, like a very bizarre year, like home building is still strong despite interest rates going up, but interest rates is a lagging indicator. I mean, your constructions loans from before they jacked up rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, new construction may be challenged and perhaps, you know, consumers, you know, we just talked about um, Mayor Wu's proposal on commercial properties. I mean, you know, how is that going to impact a new development, whether it be building or buildings or existing renovations? Yeah. Speaking of costs, I mean, I know costs for energy uh, come down, but uh, especially electricity is still significantly higher than it has been. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, if you want to do a non-utility uh, basic rate, which is when utility companies uh, every six months puts out a bid to get the best locked-in price subject to fuel costs, uh, you know, it's forty almost 40% lower than it was this winter time, but still pretty significant. Um, again, you know, you can go to the office and use your boss's air conditioning, please try, saves you a little money, plug you that again. Um, but, uh, you know, the oil prices all over the board. I mean, uh, it's a global market, global uh, fossil fuels impact electrical prices. Uh, China has not opened up the way it thought it would. Um, many uh, industrialized nations have been all over the place on energy consumption. Like Europe had a warmer winter than much warmer winter than expected, which impacted the price of oil, and natural gas, natural gas especially. It impacted the Ukraine war because you know. You know, the Russians couldn't sell gas at a price they thought they could sell. Um, so, I mean, there's all kinds of these global ramifications on, on energy. And, uh, you know, you can stay on the basic rate of or you can go online and try to find a, a third-party energy company. Uh, you can buy in a locked rate for one, two, three years. But I think even competitive energy suppliers, you know, are being very cautious too, because even though maybe they're just strictly renewable power, for example, you want to buy only renewable power, you know, uh, there's also a fluctuating rate on, on the competitive price of renewable energy. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many competitive supply companies will go engage in like a three-year contract. Right. You know, I, I suspect many on one year at a time. And I am a, I am very aware of the city's application for the aggregate energy um, with the DPU. And I've had people, you know, ask me more than once, but it's administrative law hearing. As a guy who stood before DPU in the AG's office is aware of, and, uh, 
you know, it has to go through this 30 process and rigid review because part of it is that you want to ensure that the city or town, you know, actually knows what they're doing buying competitive supply power. And it isn't as simple as opening an envelope when you're dealing with a whole city or like a big factory. You know, you have to like start projecting out what your expectations are regarding pricing. And that that's, uh, everyone thinks they can do that for some reason. I've dealt with experts and I'm like, I'm an expert on this in terms of identifying future power costs. But uh, there are people who get paid really big money trying to figure this out. Oh, yeah. This is a specialty engineering, uh, you know, uh, skill that, that's required, yeah. Yeah, it's not just simple. It's always just put some RFPs out because it could blow up in your face. So, yeah, obviously people made out great this past winter, but, you know, as renewable power comes into play in certain areas or perhaps economic recovery in Europe, which is technically in the recession, technical recession because of two bad quarters in a row, plus slow growth in Asia, you know, you may get uh, maybe next this coming winter, uh, possibly get a lower utility basic rate. That right. you buy. It's entirely possible. Uh, but, you know, you're locked in at a higher rate. Again, you can't predict the market, as I'm telling you now, on energy as easy as you think it is. And like I say, you do have experts whose job is to try to project out energy costs, uh, not just fossil fuels, but also renewables because it's a constantly changing environment, you know, doing that. And again, uh, also Congress is now reconsidering nuclear power in certain places. Yeah, exactly. I know. Conversations back on near zero, or actually is zero emissions. Uh, is nuclear power. There is no emissions. And the modern nuclear power is in the days of the 70s, but politically unacceptable. I mean, the reality is people, you know, look at uh, basically uh, two major failures uh, on operator level with Three Mile Island and, and um, uh, Chernobyl. Chernobyl. I don't know how come that slipped out of my mind. Yeah. Uh, and one natural disaster in Fukushima. Uh, right. But comparatively speaking, you've seen, you know, what happened at the NWA windmill. Um, that is not unusual. That is, that does happen. Um, and that was a non-functioning movement. It just looked good, but wasn't working anyway. Um, and, you know, you also have like, you know, bad rains, for example, natural washouts. If that was in the area of a lot of solar power. Yeah. You wouldn't have a solar field anymore. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, you destroyed the underground wiring and then you got a problem. So, you know, it isn't like renewable power isn't subject to weather and climate change uh, just as much as everything else. So, yeah. you know, while there's only been three major nuclear uh, incidences uh, and uh, Chernobyl obviously had a much higher death count than the other ones, um, you know, there's a huge public sentiment against it. While, you know, you, a conventional fossil power generation has adverse effects on people's health, as we talked about, you know, uh, construction can also be equally dangerous um, same thing with renewable as well, where you have to like, you know, you have to use a lot of energy to build renewable. Uh, Silicon is also very toxic. You know, mm -hmm. these falls are always going to be a feature of our problems regarding toxicity of land waste. Um, you still need uh, some fossil fuels for like, I don't know, Greece, right? Windmills don't turn about lubrication. That's right. Yeah. Um, Even you know, electric cars have ball bearings that need grease. Yeah. Yeah. And try to, you know, reduce the, the use as much as possible. Yeah. But nuclear can go 100 years, and you know, depending on the tech, the French and Japanese are very good technology. You could go you know, 100 years before you deplete a water, perhaps more. And it, they're also learning how to recycle uranium. Yep. So, I mean, European uh, nations as well as East Asian nations you know, have been trying to figure this out for years, and they have no land. You know, I know people talk about Yucca Valley in Nevada, and I've actually been on conference calls in the AG's office about nuclear waste storage, which was not very exciting, as you can imagine. Um, 
you know, but you know, those places with less land space have been trying to maximize uh, uranium as opposed to minimize and dispose because I don't have as much disposal land than, than the United States does. Yeah. Um, we're uh, out of time, but I know you had some interns in your office today, Techie. You wanted to say hello to? Yes, uh, we do have some interns back in person. Uh, I think uh, the intern experience in person felt is much more valuable as you can engage me directly and my staff and next door suite staff and other legislators around us. And we do have what we call the intern series talk. We, uh, I have been doing this for a long time as a former intern myself, uh, who once was sitting uh, not in that room um, because it was a much different program when I was younger. Um, you know, it's, it's good to you know share some thoughts of how we got here uh, you know, share some thoughts of what I've been doing, but also most importantly, answer their questions. So, you know, I got good questions about, you know, affirmative action, uh, alcohol licensing, um, got some questions about uh, data privacy and GPS geolocation. We talked about that on the podcast in the past. Um, you know, I got, got some good questions about, um, you know, where I'm from, how I got here, what I consider, you know, critical pieces of legislation. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a very engaged group, a lot of uh, high school seniors and college students, and from everywhere. Uh, it's all up in state and some are international students too, who are colleging in the U.S. and decided to learn about government. And, uh, you know, let's be frank, it's easier to get to the state house than the D.C. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> uh, and it's easy to get all of you too, right? Well, as you see, I'm in the office. So 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. It will pop up on your screen if you watch the YouTube. And uh, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-A-N at mahouse.gov. And I do look at your emails and I just saw like six of them pop up in the corner as I'm talking to you. And I do take all the testimony from the committee through this email, uh, even though it's going to the committee email box. I get a copy of everyone that comes through. So, you know, uh, no joke, I was averaging about 200 at one point uh, going to the last set of hearings. So uh, I do sift through it, recategorize that committee email, then I have to sort out non-committee email uh, and identify issues of personal concern as well as which on a legislative. Uh, you don't hear back, definitely give us a call. Um, as you can tell, my email box is, is flooded. I do check it myself. You know, we do have state representative Tacky Chan. That's the Facebook page. See my comings and goings. Uh, we do have techichin.org. I do receive email through the contact box in there. Um, it does come straight to my email as well. Um, so, you know, if you want to try to use that, you can. At techichin.twitter, we'll see how much longer I'm on there. As, as uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Meta has decided to try to kill Twitter off. Uh, so that's a fun conversation for next week, if you want. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm still on Twitter for now, but we may reconsider that in the office, depending on how, uh, how this goes with uh, the Twitterverse. And obviously, you know, emulegislature.gov, you can look up any legislator, look at all our past public hearings that have been recorded. Uh, and, uh, no, I'm here with Joe. And, uh, you know, as you heard already, I do listen to Joe's morning podcast to get the news briefs in the city. Thank you, Parad. I appreciate that very much. And uh, I wish you a good week. You too. Enjoy the week. And, uh, Try to stay cool and, and you know, you know, but most importantly, enjoy the summer. <laughs>